0: okay good morning everyone um, several months back I started to read uh, this book got uh, this book by Jane Hammond called declarations for breakthrough and uh, I forget where the reference came from to get it but I did and uh, I immediately started to really be blessed by it and connect with it and uh, as I started to go through the chapters I I have this thought, I'm like, wow, this would make a great class to go through this book because if we had a whole uh, company of people that were really learning to make declarations and change the atmosphere, it would transform our church. And so my testimony is, is that things like this, they did not exist in the Christianity I grew up in, there, we, there was no concept of making a declaration, and changing anything. It just wasn't there. And um, so, slowly learned that, but I've been slow to embrace it. I think I've confessed that before. And um, it, it doesn't matter why. Just you know, there are things you get, some things you don't. So, I had that thought. And it was a little bit later. Then I had to, I bought Phyllis her book because we had to have our books, you know. Like, it's just how it is, you know. And um, I like to highlight and she likes to underline, you know. So we have this, like, don't mess with my book. I wouldn't admit that, but I know that I'm not the only one here. So don't move my, don't mess with my stuff. So um, anyways, we both started reading the book. And she's like, I'm going to do a class on this. I'm like, there you go. I said, that's... That would be great. Well, it's been, they've been going, fifth week coming, and uh, it's very well attended. It's been, it's really been a neat, neat class to watch how many people have come and uh, what they've been getting out of it. And so, as I was preparing for today, I, I had seen this in chapter six, and like, oh my gosh, the language just hit me, and I'm like, I gotta share on this today. So, um, It is about divine reversals is the name of the chapter. Divine reversals, reversing things. And that was the, as I was praying for this arthritis on my neck, I had prayed for a long time. Like, I was even like, don't pray for healing. I don't even, because I don't know that's what this, I don't know what I need. You know, I just couldn't get a grip on what the problem was as the diagnosis came out and I looked at all that, I finally got my prayer, what to pray and how, to, how I was supposed to stand in it, deal with it and stand in it. And uh, it was that I needed to curse the arthritis, that's a good thing, stop the problem, right? If you've got cancer, you wanna go after the cancer first, you know. And then in my impossible prayer thing uh, journey, Uh, facing impossible because if it was impossible then it didn't I couldn't do it Um, funny we're people of faith and yet yeah so anyways when things actually take faith we're like you know so my impossible prayer was to reverse the effects of the damage of the arthritis that's an impossible prayer with man that's impossible amen but with God, all things are possible. Even the doctors aren't sure what to do with that. Like, you know, they're, they're all like, mm, you know, we can do this, do that, but fix it. You know, that was the diagnosis. There's nothing we really can do to fix this. So, um, <clears throat> I started to pray this prayer that the damage would be reversed. It took a lot for me just to pray that impossible thing. Uh, That was impossible for me, but with God, all things are possible. So that was my prayer. It's where I stood, and then um, how I continue is that I I bless my neck. Now I've prayed over myself for many years quietly of something that's bothering me, something that's going on. I pray for myself. I'll be on a walk or whatever. I just commit it to the Lord. I pray over my body, and yeah, I've done pretty well. Like still upright, you know, that thing. So um, I do this, and I, I do it often. I still don't have a total, I don't have a victory over this, but I, I do this. I practice this, believing in what God can do and the power of the prayer, just focusing on that. And eventually, sooner or later, I do expect to have this. I prayed simple prayers about my eyesight when I was younger, didn't even have a whole lot of faith, but I prayed. I, I'm like, why not? I'll pray for the Lord to heal my eyes, to fix my eyes, because I was, I, I was glasses since I was, you know, big enough to wear glasses, <clears throat> which they're always a pain, and then contacts have their own issues, and, you know, and then they back and forth, and you go through all this thing, and then you can't see close, you can't see far, you know, round and around you go. So... Uh, um, I went back to contacts for a while, but that was a problem because I couldn't re- read my phone. How do you function in this life? You know, if you can see far away, but you can't see your phone, right? I mean, that's ridiculous. But however, that's, that's the problem. Then it was like, well, here, get these cheaters. I'm like, that defeats the whole purpose. Like, I'm trying to get this stuff off my face. And so I had that absolutely did not work for me. I was like, well, here... We'll do one contact far and one contact near, and I think I tried that. That didn't work for me, but it does work for people. And then there's the surgeries, and they, it's exactly what they do. Often they'll they'll fix one so you can see far, and they'll fix they'll do the other one so you can read. I got to where I couldn't wear my glasses anymore. I'd put them off. I'd be driving. I'm like, gosh, they're driving me crazy. I'd set them set them aside. And just drive, I'm like, man, I'm doing pretty good. And is this continued pretty soon? I just, like, didn't need my glasses anymore. I wasn't doing anything different than I had done. I had prayed these prayers. I did remember the prayers I prayed. The last time I went to get my driver's license, I said, hey, could you test me without my glasses? Yeah, sure. I went, hey, you're passed. You're good. So I'm legally, like, you know, a seeing person again without that was amazing i hear people it's like hey i got this there's a certain name for that kind of surgery i'm like yeah I, I got a free gift you know i got a gift from heaven god does things and he's often like praying prayers and then just standing in it and waiting it's easy to step out pray a prayer believe something for yourself or for other people Trust me, I've been there so disappointed. Like you really give it your all and then no result. And uh, it just kind of causes you to hedge your bets, yeah? Now we've learned to maintain Christianity. We're just, we're careful about it. And we see someone come in with this zealous and believing all things. We're like, just give them some time. They'll calm down, right? <laughs> Why would we want them to ever calm down? It's sick. It's bad. Like, don't, no, no, no. We need to, you know, we need to become like that again. And so I've been doing this, and that's what I've been doing with my neck. And so here is this chapter with, you know, the reversal, uh, divine reversals. Here is Jane Hammond's story. I love how she writes, and um, <clears throat> I'm just going to share things out of this chapter, kind of a review of this. And then when the class gets to it, they'll be already ahead. Okay. So it's just full of stuff. It starts with a scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 23, five, just the one verse you can turn there if you want, but it says the Lord, your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord, your God loves you. Well, wow. There's there's the paperwork right there. There's the documentation. There's the, you know, the case that you can bring before heaven, like uh, that God did this. The precedent was set that he promised to turn the curse into a blessing. And is that not often what we're praying for? We, I need this curse to be turned into a blessing. I need, I need it reversed. I need it reversed. I need the damage reversed. And to even have the heart to be able to pray for such a ridiculous thing. In our reasoning minds, you don't get a reversal on the damage done, right? Even the doctor will be like, well, we can fix this, but we can't reverse the damage that's been done. And they can't. That's okay. We don't need them to be Jesus Christ. We just need them to be the doctor, okay? We don't need them to be something that they're not. Maybe that's our problem with when we get so irked in things. It's like, do you understand how limited they are, even on their best day? And there are things they're really great at, and there's things they're not great at, and there's things they're great at, but they don't do well at, and then stuff happens. Stuff always happens. Lose a patient here and there, just mark it up as a statistic and keep going. And uh, if only we would be that way, like yeah, we've lost a few but we're going to stick with the plan because we know this works, we know this is the right thing to do, to pray in faith for whatsoever. She begins to write during one of our conferences, I prophesied that God was bringing divine reversal. So she has released this over the people she was ministering to, and this book's very recent. And I'm like, just embrace it. Take it as a current word. And often this is how the prophetic word operates. It's crazy. You can write it down, and years later, someone it hits somebody. It has It carries with it. It's that thing. It's out of Isaiah 55. The word of the Lord, it comes to the earth, right? And it does not return until it accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. Prophetic words are the same way. They're alive. They have a life to them. They have a shelf life to them. like many years later, you open this up and bam, it, it impacts you. They just get, just embrace that. Like just because it was there for some a while back or for someone else doesn't mean it doesn't still have power. Can we all say yes to that? And we can get locked in our thing. It's like, oh that was to somebody else. God likes them more. I mean whatever our reasoning is, you know. Understand, the word is faithful. On the same loving father that sent any word is going to stand behind any for any person. So she speaks this, among other things, the Lord said that he was causing divine reversals in physical conditions and deterioration and turning them around. This was God's decree that would release healing. One of the young ministers, Rebecca Francis, later gave public testimony that she had experienced a divine reversal in her eye that night. Though she was only in her late 20s, she had a pressure imbalance that was progressively causing her to lose her vision. Each time she visited the doctor, the area of blindness was found to have increased. the prognosis was that this would continue until she lost all sight in her eye. And what she didn't write was they said, there's nothing we can do about it. Right? That was pretty much, and there's nothing we can do about that. It's just progressing and we can't stop it. Or they would have been doing something. The day after I prophesied divine reversals in areas of degeneration, she returned to her doctor who was astounded. The pressure in her eye was normal, and all lost vision was restored. So not only was the cause fixed, but the damage was also fixed. It's a double miracle. I mean, that's good. You, you can stop, you know, if you have a car an accident with your car lord forbid but stuff happens you can the the accident comes to an end but the damage remains some of those acts that you just can't buff out a smash fender right it's the damage is done so not only do you need to call stop the accident and the damage that you know what was happening to it you now have and need a repair The prophetic word that I decreed was not spontaneous, but rather came from something God had spoken to me a few weeks earlier, which resulted in a spectacular miracle for one of my grandchildren. You might recall the story from a previous book. As it continues to inspire and inform my decrees, I would like to share it again with you again. I was in my office praying and seeking the Lord early one morning when I heard him say to tell the people of God that he has begun releasing divine reversals, that he is beginning to turn things around for his people, health, finances, prodigals, families, ministries, businesses, and even nations. We get stuck in these areas because we see the damage done. We often go into guilt over it, I made this mistake, I made that mistake. If I wouldn't have gone here, if I wouldn't have come here, if I would have done something different, like we're so hung up on the cause and the effect. Understand, that's a stronghold, at least in our American culture. I don't know about any, any other culture in the world, but I know about ours. That's a stronghold. Once we see that, we have a hard time believing God can fix what went bad. Our reasoning, our reality, you know? Let's be real, right? We're still saying, let's be real. Like, you can't do that. And then we pray and we kind of like cooperate with praying for things because we don't want to look stupid or, you know. But our level of faith is just like it's low, and we're trying to believe, but we need shaken a little, And, and testimonies like this help break you, shake you out of that thing you're stuck in believing. He's begun releasing divine reversals that he is beginning to turn things around for his people, for all these things. It will be a time for turnaround miracles. Things that seemed impossible before are now being made possible because we are entering a time of divine intervention and grace. God has heard the cry of his people. So there are moments of anointing that these things get released. But you know, I'm going to tell you something. That's true. But you don't know when that moment is. And you don't know when that's going to impact you. You can go to a healing place Meeting or someplace where there's a great anointing on someone you you can do that You may need to do if you are instructed to do that by all means do that But it can also come from the simplest thing the simplest place my crazy grandson running around with the flag like If you have eyes to see what they do in their Childness there's 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 something there. Uh, and I, 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 I often get ministered to by our kids, and they have no clue. They don't know what they are. They're not trying to be something. They just walk. They just talk. They just, uh, you know, they just are being themselves. But there's a, an anointing on it. Also, get, I often get words or good direction or see something. They have no idea. God can use the simplest things. A few hours later, Tom and I got a call from one of our children saying something was wrong with their son. So she administered that. There were results in the meeting. Then they get a call. There's always a call, yeah? He had previously been diagnosed, this is their grandson, with a severe compression on his brain. That doesn't sound good and would need surgery. Because of some other physical challenges, however, they could not operate for at least another six months. Delayed hope. Because, uh, no, no, no. They <clears throat> The parents were told that one of the dangers was he could lose the use of an arm or leg. And if that occurred, the damage would be irreversible. The day God spoke to me about divine reversals, my grandson had lost the use of his leg. It's getting serious, right? Very serious. We brought the family to our house and declared divine reversal over our boy. The first day, nothing happened. It's okay. The second day, his condition got worse. It's okay. But on the third day, he jumped out of bed and began running around the house completely restored. So I began diligently to study the biblical concept of divine reversals, Deuteronomy 23 5, which is what I read says that the lord will turn curse to blessing for us because he loves us and then psalms 30:11 speaks of god turning our mourning to dancing first samuel 10:6 tells of the time when samuel told Saul that he was about to meet a company of prophets along the road the spirit of the lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man All these verses use Hebraic word, the Hebraic word for reversal. I can't pronounce it, H-A-P-H-A-K. Which means to turn, to turn around, to overthrow, to change, to reverse, to transform oneself. It can be used for personal inner transformation, as with Saul, as a military term indicating overthrowing an enemy, kingdom, or to indicate the presence of God's hand to turn evil intention into divine purpose. In the book of Esther, we see it used in the sense of reversing a decree of death and destruction and releasing a new decree of authority, life, and peace. When God spoke to me initially about divine reversals, I was studying the book of Esther. This story helps us understand the authority we have been given to shift entire cultures through the power of the decree. As we endeavor to write and speak what God decrees, here are some directives that I believe will increase our effectiveness to bring divine reversals. Number one, Take up the call to intercede. Esther is a prophetic picture of the church, the followers of Christ who are interceding for nations and generations today. The book of Esther is the story of a young Jewish woman living in captivity in Persia who was made queen. Shortly after this event, it was discovered that a wicked man named Haman, not to be confused with Haman, that's her name, Had written a decree against the Jewish people to wipe them off the face of the earth and to take all their property. Esther's relative and guardian, Mordecai, asked Esther to go before the king to intercede for a reversal of this death decree. So that was what he. That's what he required. That's what he went after. The word intercession describes a prayer or petition. In favor of someone else. The person who intercedes acts as a go between to help solve a problem. It also describes someone who intervenes to bring help. The word intervene paints the picture of true intercession, it means to come between oppo- opposing sides to jump into the middle of something to interfere, to get involved so as to alter or hinder an action through force or threat of force. In other words, an intercessor gets in the way and interrupts the devil's plans. This is exactly what Esther did and what we are called to do. Today, there is great hostility against believers and the cause of Christ in the earth, and it seems to be growing worse. The devil would love to see wickedness and injustice prevail and vo- the voice of righteousness and truth silenced. We are living in the day where God is called evil, good is called evil, and evil, good. It's Isaiah 55:20 is a reference to that. God is looking for intercessors who will jump into the middle of things in prayer, get in the way of the devil's plans, and cause things to turn around. If we begin to believe in this in a greater degree, we'll be prone to do it more often. The king in the story of Esther was named Ahasuerus, which means, I will keep you poor and silent. We're living this, aren't we? This is the strategy of the enemy against the church today. I will keep you poor and silent. In today's media and culture, prayer and faith are mocked in an attempt to intimidate and silence the voice of God's people and to rob us of having any influence on our culture. But God has a plan. The pendulum is swinging, and the enemy is overplaying his hand. God's church is rising in power to intercede and get in the way of the enemy's plan. The curse is getting ready to be turned to a blessing for us. We must always remember that Jesus became a curse for us so we do not have to live a, live under a curse. And let's take a moment to just turn to that. It's, uh, Galatians chapter three. How often I've heard... Uh, this scripture, um, like many other scriptures. And it's not that you disagree with it, but there's a difference when you embrace these things, is there not? And this is uh, in the Passion Translation, chapter 3, verse 13. Yet Christ paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the law. He absorbed it completely as he became a curse in our place. For it is written, everyone who is hung upon a tree is doubly cursed. So he became a curse for us. You need to use this verse to battle the self-condemnation, the onslaught of thoughts that keep you pressed down, that blame you for everything and make you make you own everything bad that's gone on in your life. There's such a... Uh, power in this and you wouldn't until you talk to people you'd be amazed at how many people still deal with this that condemnation that voice that keeps you from and here's the issue you don't believe in the power of what christ did you don't believe that he became a curse for you so that you could be free from We are overwhelmed with, I deserve this. I'll catch it in my own language sometimes. It hides there, it lies there, but it's always active. It whispers to you. He became a curse for us. He was the master of divine reversal. Everything he did... Demonstrated God's power to turn death to life, sickness to health, lack to blessing, etc. We have been given the power to act as intercessors, frontline warriors, those called to get in the way of the enemy's devices. We need to decree freedom and blessing and extend that freedom to others by re- reversing the curses of darkness in, as we pray and decree heaven's purposes into the earth. The next section, spending your favor. Odd title, but very important reality. If you, and I'll say this to people and well-meaning, and me, I mean it with all my heart, you have favor on your life. I'll, see, I'll go, you've got favor. And it's a great declaration to make to people. Because if you have favor, things are going to work out. You can run up against a wall and things are going to work out. The wall's gonna fall down or someone's gonna give you a ladder. Something's gonna happen, because you've got favor. Nothing stops your forward m- momentum permanently. Nothing hinders you for any any time beyond the allotted time. There's There's a way, there's a way of escape. There's a provision for the need. When you begin, it just changes you when you start to live in that mentality. You can help get delivered from your complaining I know you're probably all free from it but every once in a while it'll show up in my language like I'm so, I do I'm doing so much better but it still shows up once in a while and the moment you complain is the moment that you demonstrate that you don't trust the Lord It's very serious I mean it's a, it's a, it's a just a reality if you're complaining then you don't you don't believe God's going to make a way for you You don't believe there's help. You believe you're stuck. You believe you're a victim. And you separate yourself from Christ when you live that way. It's it's very serious. There's no way to sugarcoat that. When you live in complaint, live in grievance, griping, it doesn't matter if it's our government. It doesn't matter who, what, where. When you go there and you look at whatever we're dealing with, with school systems or the government, the big government, the little government, the husband, the wife, whatever, whoever, the relatives, the neighbor, whoever you think is in your way. If you move into complaint like you need to look at all those and redress them and go, there's a way around. There's a there's a deliverance for this. There's a hope for this. There's an answer for this. And you just begin, Lord, I know I have favor and I just ask that you, I'll, and, and what's hard is to pray it when you don't feel it. Those are the hardest prayers to pray. But when you pray it, even though you don't feel it, I'm always amazed at how quickly the Lord answers. Those are some of the great, those are the things that get answered the fastest. I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling this, but I. I'm like, I know what I've, I know what I have to do, so I do it. And then boom, I'm like, I'll be. It works again. So it's always the way. It's the answer you pra- once you practice that, you start to flow in it. There's less downtime. There's less, I don't have to explain that. One time, while I was prophesying to someone, I heard the Lord say, "I have given you favor, now I am going to teach you to spend my favor. What a powerful concept. When Esther appre- apprehended, approached the throne, the king stretched out his scepter of favor to see, and this is in Esther chapter 5, we know this story. We can picture this as the church approaching the throne of the Lord and receiving favor. And I believe we do have favor. But I'm not sure we're spending our favor right yet. In addition, when we have favor with God, we ask him to give us favor with others. It is often said that faith is the currency of heaven, meaning that we spend our faith before God, he hears our prayers, and pours out the resources of heaven over our lives. Amen. I believe, however, that favor is currency to be used with people here on earth. As we spend our favor, we are given answers to those Things we seek we see doors open and opportunities afforded these are spiritual powers that bring natural breakthroughs one of the ways I like to describe what it means to have favor is that people will be drawn to you supernaturally want to be around you want to know what you think now I'm just saying I'm I'm going I'm inviting you step into this and change your language about yourself. Step into this. It'll feel really strange at first. Step into it and move into this rather than what you normally do and watch and see what happens. They will want to promote you, show you goodwill. They will want to give you opportunity and position. I believe that is a picture of the people of God approaching the thrones of influence in this world system and receiving amazing opportunities to bring change. We need to learn to receive favor from God and then spend it in order to advance God's kingdom and to open doors of influence that would otherwise remain closed. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter and the king said to her, What do you wish Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half of my kingdom. Woe! She received favor, but I've never gone beyond that. How do you spend your favor? We know the story. Actually, you'll see how she spent it. But at that moment, forget she had favor. What was she going to do with it? This was a up to half of my kingdom. Uh, Could you throw in a million dollars and da-da-da, you know? We're kind of vain that way, we're we're thinking. But she knew this was a matter of life and death for her people. She did understand the problem, the severity of the situation. So Esther walked, asked the king to come to a banquet with Haman. Interesting, she didn't answer him at that moment. She was getting positioned for the big ask. (laughs) The king came to her banquet where Esther served him. And there's a principle there of learning how to serve we need to learn to serve those in position in the world systems and show them the heart of Christ. It's true. We're often always asking, just minister to them, serve them. They, 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 they appreciate this. I heard a story. I was so impacted. I hear a story of a ministry that was giving out groceries. We're like, that's okay, that's nothing new. People do that. But this man had the foresight to take a bag of groceries, like He might have bought it himself, and put gifts in it and whatever, and took it to a, very, for, to a wealthy man's house and put it on his door. And, and in the story, he finds out how much this man appreciated getting gifts instead of some people just asking from him. You go, no way. I mean, you typically think they'd laugh at that, but it's amazing Where their heart, when you give them a gift, just because. Hey, I wanted to give you a gift. I know people are always hammering at your door for stuff. I just want to bless you. I just feel the Lord wants to bless you. They're people too, believe it or not. And when they they respond differently when someone just comes and gives them. So, as a result of her serving the king, the king asks again, What is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. Then Esther answered and said, My petition and request is this, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request then. Esther was saying, If I really have favor with you, king, then here is how I want to spend it. We need to understand that there is a difference between having favor and spending favor. Wow. I've not heard this before. Makes sense, though, doesn't it? And then how you spend that favor, it matters. You can have money and not spend it. You can also have favor and not spend it or not spend it wisely. It is time for the people of God to recognize that we have been given amazing favor through our relationship with Christ. Tom and I, her husband, received a call one day from Sharon Parks, an elder in our church who was on her way to the hospital for emergency surgery on her eye for a detached retina. She was carrying the films from her initial doctor's diagnosis, I'm asking for prayer, so it's very important you understand the details of this. She was on her way there. She had film, X-ray. She had stuff with her of what they had taken at the hospital, wherever they she was at before they sent her on her way to the next place. She had that. We learned. We began to degree divine reversal over her eyes. So she called. Jane and Tom, her husband, and they prayed over her and made declaration <laughs> over her. Ay, 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 aye. In the name of Jesus, asking boldly for a miracle, I mean, this is impossible, right? Uh, uh, my mind goes here all the time. Like, this is my, like, stop, you know? I'm like, uh, it's, you know, it's a reality. Here's, here's the diagnosis, here's the proof, here's the whatever. A- and you're like, Do I really believe anything can be changed now? We are so locked into the diagnosis. Bless their hearts. We're so locked into the uh, results of tests. We're like, once it's, it's like, oh, well, then it's over. Nah, not necessarily. Who told you that? Who told you that hinders God from doing something? So they began to decree when Sharon got to the hospital, the medical personnel reviewed the films and said she definitely had a detached retina, which is very serious, as you know. They took their own set of films as part of the preparation for the emergency surgery. But then a doctor came in and spent a great deal of time examining her eye, looking first at one set of films, then the other. Finally, he said, I don't know what's happened, but you do not have a detached retina. The first set of films clearly shows you do, but the second set and now my examination find no evidence of it, for this is one for the record books. Doesn't it do your heart good to hear this stuff? I mean, we need to hear it and hear it and hear it because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and anything that is a testimony to what he did, then our faith boosts up a little bit. Let me go just a little further and I'll finish up. It certainly was, it was evidence of divine reversals that come in Jesus' name as we approach the throne of favor boldly. As I began preaching about divine reversals, many people in our church began to see prodigals returning, turning around and coming home. Financial disasters and bankruptcies averted. Legal situations settled. Barrenness broken off so babies were born. Businesses that were failing turned around and prospering. prospering. Sicknesses healed, health restored, and even the dead brought back to life. All these things happened because people heard the word of the Lord. Faith arose in their hearts, and they began to say what God said the divine re- reversals were a result. And she goes on to say, explain this, that in the New Testament, the words grace and favor come from the same word charis, the Hebrew word, C-H-A-R-I-S. So when Scripture says to come boldly before the th- God's throne of grace, it is for far more than just forgiveness of our sins. It is also a throne of favor. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Amen. Yeah. Good stuff, huh? Father, we believe help our unbelief. Shake off the complacency that we have to just... uh, resolve and accept so quickly the diagnoses and the results of tests and the prognosis of our lives and how we think things will always end up. If just one of us hears enough to make a change, it's worth it. If just one of us goes this week and holds back on the complaint and gives you thanks instead, it's worth it. If we begin to exercise and encourage each other day after day, while it's still called today, that we're living in favor, that God will provide, that God will do things in our midst and that we're to walk and then to know how to spend our favor, what to do with it that has the greatest impact, and not just consume it on ourselves, but to use it to glorify you, to use it in the best way that we know. I thank you, Father, for this encouraging word that these curses can be reversed. And that you can take a curse, and you can turn it into blessing. And I just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're Amen. Thank you.
1: Um, last week, um, Pastor mentioned the word faith, or the word "church." and in in the broad context that as the world the world sees the church as an institution and um, we see things differently here and we do things differently here we see it differently from within this church whether you've been in this church 30 years or 30 days you have a purpose in this body and you belong and you have value, and and if you're not here, if you're missing, part of the body is missing. And this church is is relational. We belong to one another, and I just think we see things and do things differently. What What Phyllis and Kevin did is family. that's how I feel about our church. In the, in the Greek, the word for church is ecclesia, and it means you're pulled aside, you're set apart. We're different, we're not different from one another, but we're different from the world. The world doesn't pray for one another the way we do. The world doesn't forgive like we just had an example of this morning. The world doesn't worship like we do. The world doesn't commune like we do. And there's many cups here and many pieces of bread, but Paul says in Corinthians that that it's one sacrifice and we're one loaf. So we we celebrate this, but we celebrate it as one. It's so important that, that we recognize this and do this because the main thing that we share is our victory, our salvation, that we have forgiveness. That's what we should celebrate. I speak that word celebration over you this morning. When you come to communion, have that attitude of celebration. And when you have a victory, you don't walk off the field by yourself. The the best part of victory is sharing it and jumping up and down and high-fiving your friends. And that should be our attitude as we take communion. We celebrate victory in the cross. We celebrate salvation together. And so we should celebrate communion this morning, together, celebrate the victory, celebrate forgiveness, amen?